you're visiting today, we're glad uh, that you're with us. We have been looking at the book of Romans for the last uh, 15 months, I believe. Uh, We have three more sermons uh, to go on the book of Romans. In our text uh, that we have uh, before us this morning in Romans chapter 16, verses uh, 1 through 16, it might appear as we read it that what we have is Paul uh, throwing out a few random names as he is uh, wrapping up uh, the letter. But there's a lot going on uh, in these uh, greetings. And obviously because uh, the Bible is inspired, when Paul was writing these words, he's writing the very words of God and they are here uh, for a reason. But as we look at this text and we think about these names and the things that are said about these people, 26 of them in all, men and women, people from different stations of life, uh, there are slave names that are here. Uh, there, there are names of, of those who are wealthy that are, are in here. There are those who are of nobility that are in here. In fact, some think that one of these was eventually martyred because of his testimony before um, Nero. But what's very clear as we look at this text is Paul's concern is that what he has been teaching in the book of Romans, that Christ is our hope and our only hope, that that needs its way into our lives, into the church. And so I titled the sermon today that to be in Christ is to be involved. To know Him, to be in Christ, and we're going to talk more about what that means, is to be involved in each other's lives. It's not to live compartmental lives, but to be part of one another. That is what God has ordained that we'll see in our text for us to spread the gospel. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to our text. We believe this is the inerrant Word of God. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chintria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Great Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. And, and greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. They're well known to the apostles, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. And greet the workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother has been a mother to me as well. And greet Asyncritus, Phlegine, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Petrobus, 
Hermas and the brothers who were with them. Uh, I'm sorry, and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures that reveal to us the gospel. All that we need for faith and practice are right here before us. And Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters whose names are here before us who because of their testimony and because of their partnership in the gospel with Paul that we here today enjoy the freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Father, I pray for your presence as we come and look at your word that you would work in our hearts. I pray for those who perhaps do not know you, that they would hear the good news of the gospel, that they would understand it, and that they would become part of the family of God. And for us who know you, O Lord, calls us once again to see all that you've done for us in Christ in such a way that it creates an affection for you and an affection for one another, and an affection for those who do not know Christ. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. You know, when I first read this text, I read it several times uh, before I dug into it. But the thing that hit me right off the bat, and I think is uh, the course I wanted to take on on the sermon this, uh, this morning, is just how personal the Christian faith is. You don't come to a set of principles or rules when you come to the Christian faith. You come to a person. That's why we call it faith. It's not trusting in your works and the law. It's putting your faith in the one who has accomplished all those things for you. You don't come to Christ through an airtight argument. We've talked about this. You come to an airtight person. And when you come to him, all the arguments begin to come together. But you come to him first. No doubt Paul was a brilliant man. He was a scholar. He was a theologian. He was a philosopher. He was well known in his time. In fact, I can tell you this as one who studied under some liberal theologians. If there's anybody that was attacked, it was the Apostle Paul out of all the writers of scriptures because he's putting it all together for us. That's what Romans is. And when he puts it all together and all the letters are are flowing off the understanding of Christ, the second Adam, who substituted for his people and has risen from the dead as our only hope that he is the way of salvation, that gets attacked because he is so clear about this. But as scholarly as he is, he was not in ivory towers translating Greek and Hebrew. And writing systematic theologies, even though Romans is a great systematic theology, by the way. And I'm not saying he didn't have time to do that. Uh, He did that uh, for three years after he met Christ. For three years he went into the wilderness and he studied to see if these things are true. And so in that he became a great theologian. But what really hits you about Paul is he knows these people. He's not in the ivory tower. All these things that he's taught about Christ and great theology always leads to simplicity of living that I can know Christ for a certainty. He's made it clear. And that we can know one another. 26 names, men and women. Slaves, wealthy, 
Those who are part of nobility. Those who are in service to the kingdom of God. He knows them by name. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, Palmer Robertson, who y'all heard speak maybe two or three months ago. One of the great scholars uh, in the world in, in Old Testament, and uh, he's now a, 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 a heads up a, a seminary in, in Africa, but he was my professor when I was at seminary. And he had written many books. And, and what meant the world to me was when I would go into his office, there scattered with books and papers everywhere, uh, I would walk in his office and he'd say, how, how are you doing? And how's Mary Beth? How are Ben and how are Elizabeth? And what it did is it heightened my desire to listen to him in class because he wasn't just teaching me facts or truths. All those things boiled down to the fact that he wanted to mentor me and to be a brother who was in Christ. You see, what it means... To be in Christ is to be involved. I'm telling you, if you are in Jesus Christ, then you're involved. You're involved in each other's lives. You cannot help but be involved in each other's lives for reasons that I'll give here in the sermon in a moment. But if you are in church but not in Christ, then you will not want to be part of each other. John, you're in Christ. We had to baptize you to put you in the church. When we baptize children, we place them in church, in the visible church, engaged to be married to Christ. And what we discover is until they are, they tend to just kind of go to church. Now, it's a great thing. There are great benefits to children who are covenant children, but they must be baptized not only with water, but the Holy Spirit. John, you've been baptized with the Spirit. And when you're converted, it doesn't really matter whether it's back in June or... But, 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 we're, but you're saved. And you've come and you've, you're married to Christ. And now you're involved in the body of Christ. But you see, to be in church and not be in Christ is ultimately to be a divisive person. Now, Paul's going to talk about this later in the next chapter. John will be preaching next Sunday. You see, but th- those who are in Christ are united to Him. They're united to each other. Far bit that they're constantly complaining about what's going on in the church. They want to be part of each other's lives. They understand that they're the problem in the church. And so here's what I want us to see this morning, and I think it's clear, clearly in our text, and that is this. To be in Christ is to be involved with one another in the work of the kingdom out of affection for Christ. And affection for one another. It's not going to do any good to go, hey, well, you need to be more involved. That, that's just, you do it out of misery. You're not doing it out of love. You're not doing it because, oh, I'm beginning to understand what Christ has done on my behalf. Isn't this the real difference between religious, being religious and being real? being artificial and being genuine and being passive-aggressive and lovingly confronting. And one thing is for sure, if you're in the church and you know Christ, you're going to have to confront because you're going to say that you need to love your brother and sister enough to go, man, I've got a huge board in my eye, but you've got a speck and I have to get involved in, in your life versus being passive-aggressive. True, true love, true affection 
makes us do strange things. I'm, it, does it not? You remember uh, when you fought in love, you guys, and you start doing crazy things with your time? You, you, uh, you stay up all night studying so you can spend time with a girl that you fall in love with the next day? You do crazy things with your money. They say you, you, don't, you don't spend money on your shotgun. You've been saving money for your shotgun. And then now you're spending it on stuff that other guys would go, what a waste of money. Or even after you're, you've been married for some time, you say, honey, I tell you what, I don't want to take you to McDonald's. I want to take you to the five-star, not five-star day, what's that one over here? The expensive restaurant. <laughs> Five and ten, exactly. And it doesn't make sense. You, don't, uh, you can't afford that, but you want your wife to know that I love you. And she says, I love you too, but don't put it on the credit card. Makes us do crazy things. Well, you see, so here, as we come to this text, to be real practical here, how is the affection that you have for Christ and His work on your behalf working its way out in your crazy time? In the crazy ways you're spending money. You see, that's what Paul wants to get at. That's what we're seeing in our text, that these are people who have an affection for Christ and affection for one another. So here's what I want us to look at. The reality of our affection is a reality. We're going to see that in our text. And then we're going to see the foundation of our affection. Because you see, if you don't know the foundation, what, what leads to that, then you're going to kind of... Mm, but then I want us to see the fuel of our affection. And that fuel is going to be one another. I'll just kind of heads up, on, heads up you on that. So what is the reality of our affection? That's the first thing to see. Well, is that not pervasive in this text? Do you not read this text and go, man, there's a lot of beloved stuff going on here. There's a lot of, hey, greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so and these people loved you, they worked hard for you. It is clear that people knew each other. Uh, what's interesting to me is that Paul is familiar with these people. John and I were talking about this. Uh, John kind of studies along with me, and I study along with him, and we talk about the text. But, you know, Paul had never been to Rome, but he knew their names. Hey, tell me how so-and-so's doing. How's Rufus doing? That's the only name I could pronounce in this text, by the way, <laughs> as you probably gathered. <laughs> He talks, uh, he, he talks about Epiphanitus. He said, yeah, the first convert. The first convert in Asia. And then he talks about Mary. You know, Mary. Mary is one of the six Marys in the Bible. But all we know about this Mary is Paul thought she worked hard. He says to, to greet, greet Rufus, who's chosen in the Lord. And then he says that all the churches send their greetings to the church of Rome. There's an affection that's there. Now, here's what I want us to think about for a moment. You know how God originally intended us to have affection? Is in the creation. When He created uh, 
Man and woman, he created them in the context of family. And here he's talking about how we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. He's using a family term, but originally that's what it should have been in our own families. Now I want you to think about your own family, your physical family for a minute here. So God creates Adam and Eve, and they're to be uh, fellowshipping with their father. God was their father, right? He created them. And they're to be having fellowship with each other. In fact, when God creates Adam and Eve, he says a man shall forsake his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they'll become one, and they'll have children, and and they'll be naked, and they'll not be ashamed. So you see, the way God intended our families to be is where wives and husbands can be open and honest with each other. Where, where we as uh, children can know that our parents are concerned about us. Where you can say things in family that you wouldn't say anywhere else, right? Man, it used to embarrass me when I go to friends of mine's houses and they start talking to each other like I wasn't there and I'm like, whoa, I'm not part of the family. Feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? But you know what happened? Sin came through marriage. Through a man and a woman. And when that sin entered in, you know what they did? They covered up, didn't they? And they began to hide and they began to make excuses and they began to blame one another. And so rather than having a place where there's harmony and, and peace and joy and a place where we can rest and come home from work and know that we're loved or to be loved by someone who comes home from work and rather than complaining or just sitting down and watching TV and not getting involved in his wife's life, he says, hey, honey, how, how is your day today? How are you doing? Or for your children to know that the reason that you discipline them is because you love them, you have affection for them, and not because you're angry at them. You want to know why so many of our children's pretty much, uh, I heard a statistic, the majority of, of evangelical children are now leaving the faith, the majority, by the time they go to college. You know why they leave? Because to a certain extent, there's not a genuineness about the fact that we can be honest and open with each other. And they say, what's this Christianity about? But that's what family should be for. It should be a place of affection. It should be a place where my wife is able to to not think that I am mean or harsh, but I'm loving and kind. And so what do we have in our families now? We have husbands who are harsh Husbands who are difficult, selfish, and often we have wives and, and who, 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 because they can't get an upper hand, sometimes manipulate, or children who rebel. And so rather than having a place where God intended there to be peace and joy, there's pain and suffering. You know what? I know that's true in a lot of your families. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You don't feel accepted by your mother or your father, you feel like you always have to perform, or you feel like they don't have time for you, or you as, you know, you're as a parent, you have children who just decide, and maybe you're this way as a child, you're just going to do what you want to do. You want to do what you want to do. You're not concerned about harmony, you're not concerned about the family. And so the end result is that families are places where people have to get away from. Right? But here's what Paul is saying. It shouldn't be that way. That with your own flesh and blood, you should walk in the door and hug them and say, I love you. I care about you. 
But now we come in and we stand away because we say, you've hurt me, you've wounded me. You don't deserve a hug from me. But you see, in the family of God, it's different. And how do we get into the family of God? Jesus Christ is our brother who sheds his blood to give us the Father back so that we can know that we're stripped naked before God. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And Christ covers you in his blood, in his righteousness. And God is delighted to call you sons and daughters. He delights in you. Why? Because he has adopted you. And he... He's chosen you. Whether you experience that or whether you feel that, you are in the family of God. 1 John puts it this way, 1 John 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous So do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, the world hates you. But we know this, who are in the family of God, we're not like Cain. We're not of the flesh. And trust me, if you're not in Christ, born of the Spirit, united to His righteousness, united to His power, you're Cain. But we're not like Cain. For we know that we pass from death because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You have something against a brother or sister here in Christ? You're a murderer. If you don't go and say, hey, listen, brother. Hey, I forgive you. You wronged me. You did me wrong. But I want you to know I'm in the family of God. I'm accepted by Christ. I love you. You think that's powerful? Yes, I'll tell you why. The flesh cannot do it. You husbands and wives are still at each other. We talk about this a lot. You need to love one another. Even as Christ has loved you. Why? Because you're you're not just husband and wife. You are brother and sister through Christ adopted into his family. So here's what it should look like. Here's why we should have an affection. Hey, we were all on the boat that was sinking. We were all there going down. We were in the pit. And Christ comes and he rescues us. And man, we were on the rescue together, right? So that's why there should be affection that is there. That's the reality of it. You see it in our tanks. but, But that doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know the foundation of our affection. You can't well this up. I'm seriously, you can't make yourself, yeah, I'm going to love that person. You know, that person I really don't like, I'm going to really try hard to do that. You can't do that. Because you see, if you're trying to do that without understanding the gospel, then you're just going to get mad and angry again. And what do I mean by that? To understand the foundation upon which this affection is, is in this phrase that Paul uses at least seven or eight times in this text, it's used 174 times in the New Testament, and most of those, 138, are by the Apostle Paul, and that is a simple phrase where he speaks of being in the Lord or in Christ. That's the foundation. Notice what he said in verse 7. 
Great Andronicus and Jenny and my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they, are in, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. In the Lord, in the Lord. What is he talking about here? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about God calling us before the foundations of the earth. And that when Christ died, we died in Christ. And he's accomplished the work. It's... It's truly saving grace. It's not prevenient grace. And until you understand this, there's never going to be affection. And there's never going to be humility. Because you're not going to understand that the grace of God is the mercy of God. And you can't say, God, I'll have some of that mercy. Or God, has, you have to have mercy on my brother or my sister or my friends. Then it's no longer mercy. But mercy is what God does to those who He calls out. Can I, can I read to you prevenient grace versus saving grace? And, and, and please listen to this because this is the majority of the teaching in the church today that's not true grace. And I'm not going to, for the sake of not making anybody mad, I'm not going to tell you who believes prevenient grace, okay? How about that? I'll just read it. Prevenient grace, and this is written by a person who believes in prevenient, not saving grace. Prevenient grace is that God, uh, prevenient grace is grace that God gives to begin the process of drawing a person to himself. Its purpose is to prepare the heart of the non-believer to respond to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ Because of the sinful nature, no person seeks after God on his own. The Holy Spirit convicts a person of sin, shows him his need for the Savior, and urges the person to repent. Provenient grace is universal. It is given to all. It is resistible. A person can spurn it to his own detriment. It works in combination with the hearing of the word. It shows the non-believer that he has a further need for salvation. It results in saving grace when a person positively responds and perseveres in faith. That's called prevenient grace, and that is no grace at all. And let me explain why it is no grace at all. The theology of Luther and Calvin was particular grace. And what particular grace says is in Romans chapter 3 that we've already looked at that there is none who's righteous. There's none who seeks after God. That they're altogether unprofitable. That they are dead in their sins and dead people don't make moves toward anything. And so what is the foundation of our affection for Christ? Is that God comes. And he substitutes for sinners. And if he has substituted for you 2,000 years ago, 
You say, how do I know that? You come to Christ. You confess your sin. You come to Him. And God shows His mercy and the Holy Spirit comes and imputes that righteousness to us who are in Jesus Christ. You say, well, what is, wow, what, what is the application of affection that's there? Here's the application. Is that it's all of God. God is a merciful God who is willing to save any who would come to Him this morning. I believe that. But as we come, the reason that we come is because in Christ our sins were paid. What does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. And this is where I get in trouble. But that means every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit has been imputed to Christ. It was taken off you, laid upon Him. Specific sins. You know what that means? That means, do you you know what sin you committed Tuesday at 2 o'clock in your English class? Or 8 o'clock, 8.31 at 50 seconds after 8.31, what you said to your wife? Or the attitude that you had? Or a look that you had? Or something that you didn't even know was there? How about your sins, uh, if you're over 50 years old, what about your sins in October of 1963? Covered. Well, what about my sins tomorrow? Or what about my sins 15 minutes after I come out of Redeemer and begin to critique my brother or sister in Christ? Because you know it's going to happen. What about the sins I'm going to commit 15 years from now if I live that long? And all the other sins. Brothers and sisters, this is why they had affection. They were yanked off us, put on Christ, and Christ was crucified for your sins, past, present, and future. And in exchange for that, He gives you His righteousness and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit upon which they come. And you're free to love people. You're free to begin to ponder and look at your real sins and look to Christ and to rest in Him. If that doesn't bring affection, I'm not real sure what will. To know you're free, to f- absolutely free. Somebody asked Martin Luther, said, well, that's too easy if it's all by faith and not by works. And you know what Martin Luther said? Then you know nothing of faith. You think it's easy to be married and put your faith in somebody and love them and trust them versus the rules? So that's the reality of our affection and the foundation of our affection. One last thing, what is the fuel of our affection? I just want to give you one thing. Because what really fuels that affection is Paul's greetings to these people who were actively involved in the kingdom of God. They were in Christ, and they were involved, and they were part of each other's lives. If I could go back through this list, you see Mary who encouraged Paul. You see Phoebe who gave. She was a patron. She gave to Paul. She gave to the work. Phoebe brought the letter. Do you know that the Roman letter came with Phoebe? I mean, Scripture has an incredibly high view of women who are actively involved in the work of the building of the kingdom of God. We read of Priscilla and Aquila. You know what they did? They risked their necks for Paul. You think that was an encouragement to Paul? You think that fueled his fire? Now, are there a lot of people that Paul 
Well, well, you know, I guess they don't get this. But I'll tell you what. I desire to come to Rome because you're grasping the love of God and it is working its way out in your life and in the lives of the church there at Rome. And I want to be there and I want to greet you in the Lord. He speaks of Urbanus who is a fellow worker in Christ and he says to greet the workers in the Lord, to Phani and to Fosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Well, I need to close, but somebody came to my office this week and they were struggling with doubts, which is good. we, We struggle. You know, this person said, they said, if only I could see Jesus. We, we believe he's raised from the dead, but if only I could see Jesus. And you know what my response to that was? Well, don't you see Jesus in me? Don't you see Jesus in Kristen downstairs, or one of our secretaries, or Susan Snyder? Don't you see Jesus in John Larson and his wife, Felicia? Don't you see Jesus? Don't you see Jesus? You see, the word Christian means little Christ. We are like Jesus. And we give life to people. We don't suck the life out of people. This is the essence of what it means to be in Christ. Is this all over with? You have the Holy Spirit. And through your constant repentance and looking to Christ, the forgiveness that you receive, you give to others. You bear the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience. And if that's not there in your life, then are you in Christ? Are you resting in His work and what He has done on your behalf? I'm not saying it's, not, it's easy to love people that aren't easy to love. But we love because I'm not easy to love, but he loves me. Well, Sam Gamgee, y'all know that Sam Gamgee, right? I close with this. He was a cool guy, the guy in the Lord of the Rings. Went back and started reading some quotes on Sam Gamgee. And of course, uh, Frodo, this poor guy, is chosen to take this ring and drop it in the old uh, mountain of Mordor down that hot hole there. And, you know, it's quite a, quite a trip, wasn't it? Uh, I'm having to cut it down because we have to go to communion. But he said a couple of things in that movie that, that I, I want you to think about. And then I want to ask you one question. First off, he said, uh, he said you know, uh, Mr. Frodo, there are some things in this world that are good and they're worth fighting for. Certainly the kingdom of God. And the second thing that uh, he said was, uh, was remember when Frodo was out in his boat and, and Frodo was going, hey, you can't, you, know, you can't go with me. And he says, yes, uh, he says, I know, but I'm coming with you anyway. I'm coming with you anyway. And then, of course, there's that great scene. I went and watched it a couple of times uh, on YouTube where uh, Frodo can't make it. And Friday says, listen, I've got the ring. I'm the one with the responsibility of the ring. And he says, but I can carry you. You see, Sam Gamgee understood the mission. He understood the significance of what was going on. And therefore, he participated. This little hobbit that helped the other hobbit. Are you participating in the work of the kingdom? Do you have an affection for Christ and for other people? And if Paul were to write a letter, if he were to write a letter to the church of Athens, would you be on the greeting list? 
Hey, give, hey, give, give my greetings to so-and-so who works hard in the Lord. Give my greetings who is chosen in Christ. Give my greetings to the first convert in Athens, Georgia. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess to you that we are at best poor servants. But we thank you that, Lord, you came and you accomplished the work for us. I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives, cause us to know the finished work of Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that you've given us your Holy Spirit not to live in regret, not to look back and think of the things we did wrong, but to look beyond that, to look at Christ whose sins were imputed to him before we ever committed them and to rest in him and to know the joy of the Holy Spirit and to be part of the fellowship of the saints. Father, would you do that in our midst? Our Lord, we confess to you that none of us are even close to being involved as we should or to have the affection for you or one another as we should. But here's the gospel that you have that affection for us and it is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And God, I thank you for that. Would you bless the preaching of your word this morning that men and women might see Christ and rest in his finished work on their behalf. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.